The debate over what's cruel and unusual. The swine flu fight intensifies, and the Supreme Court welcomes John Husted home. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at Cosine, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Reginald Fields, Columbus Bureau Chief for the Cleveland Flame Dealer. Ann Fisher, host of All Sides with Ann Fisher on WOSU 820. Michael Miller, attorney and former Franklin County prosecutor. And Sandy Tice, public relations consultant. The manner in which the state of Ohio executes condemned inmates is up for review. After last month's failed execution of Rummel Broom, Governor Strickland has delayed the executions of two other death row inmates. A federal appeals court has put Broom's execution on hold. At issue is how the state should administer the lethal mix of drugs when a standard IV will not work. Prison officials are looking at injecting the drugs into bone marrow or into muscle. Michael Miller, the U.S. Constitution says no cruel and unusual punishment. Ohio says no pain when doing these executions. What's the state to do? Well, a U.S. Supreme Court ruled on this basic issue. Uh, I think there's 35 or 36 states that use a similar form of execution, the three different uh, uh, types of... Uh, the three drugs that are injected. Drugs, yes, that are injected. And then I think it was uh, April of 2008, the United States Supreme Court ruling on one of these states, which was Kentucky, uh, said clearly that it is not unconstitutional. I think it was seven to two. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that's what we've got here. The broom, uh, all these things that the governor's put on delay is, is, is fine. I think they just want to clear up what, what they do with broom and what happens if they have another one of these malfunctions. I don't think it has anything to do with the constitutionality of it. Uh, it'll stay where it is. I think eventually uh, all of these people will be uh, executed and uh, we'll move on. It's uh, it's too bad that it happened, but it's going to happen. I think uh, 32 out of 33 has gone relatively well. Uh, I don't think there's much sympathy for these people. Uh, they what, raped and uh, murdered, I think, a 14-year-old girl, a 16-year-old girl. I've had people tell me, and I guess I can say this for myself, Mike, in a couple of my physicals, uh, they have trouble finding veins. And uh, one time they actually had to send me from one doctor's office to another place just to get blood. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to happen. Things are going to go smoothly, but I don't think the end result is going to change anything. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, it, it was interesting that the governor didn't take his action until the Sixth Circuit stepped in this week to stop an execution that was uh, scheduled for this past Thursday. So uh, the question was, why wouldn't the governor have already stopped the execution to begin with, considering what happened with Broom and that Broom already has a hearing scheduled for late November? I mean, what's the harm of just, just waiting a little longer? I mean, Broom has been on death row for 25 years. Um, the guy, Reynolds, who was uh, supposed to be scheduled this past Thursday, has been on for 15 years. What's another couple of weeks or months going to do? Yeah, they really didn't delay it because they thought they were poking them too much. They decided after 18 pokes that they weren't going to be able to do it and they couldn't yeah. achieve their ultimate goal. It wasn't that, that, that the, the length of time was too long or anything. In fact, it's behind a curtain when it occurs. Do you need more medical training to inject the drugs into the marrow or into muscle? Or do you have to change the mix of the cocktail? I, I don't know. It sounds to me drugs. like training was part of the problem mm -hmm. with these botched attempts. In fact, that's what 
what the Sixth Circuit cited. They said that was one of the problems in Ohio was people were not properly trained. Yeah. And my understanding is they do need more training. Well, they, they have as much training as they are, is required by law now, but there's been a couple of very experienced executioners who have since re retired in recent years. And so as they've speeded up the number of executions, um, you know, there's, there's a, and it's an involuntary job, um, there's less experience at hand. And these aren't medical professionals who are doing yeah. this usually. They're, they're prison they usually work. are prison workers who are trained. There's three or four training sessions they have to go through, but they don't have to be an M EMT or anything like yeah. that. They prefer it. If they change the process, that, that may change too. I know that the, uh, the state has said, depending on what process we use, will depend on what personnel we have, have to administer it. So we'll have to wait and see, but I still think the end result's gonna be the same. Is there any, do you ever see the state, this state or any other state going back to the electric chair or to the gas chamber or any other form of execution um, if, one of the if for these folks who can't, don't have good veins? One of the reasons why they did away with the electric chair was the head of the prison department at the time said it was uh, hurting the morale of the, of the corrections officers. They didn't want to see it. And the electric chair, you know, you can hear it, you can see it, you can smell it. Lethal injection's a lot cleaner, a lot quieter. Uh, and it doesn't have as much of an impact on the people who are there guarding the inmates. Yeah, because, I mean, Ohio is concerned, I, I believe, about the, the constitutionality aspect of this. And so the, the cruel and unusual punishment and the pain and everything else, um, this, the lethal injection procedure seems to be the one that's, um, you know, the least invasive, I guess, if for lack of a better term. So. I think the greatest change will become very incremental. We, we already know that they're, they're sending fewer and fewer people to death row as the years go by. The more people that are put to death every year, the fewer that are sent to death row. And I think that is going to be the biggest change is very subtle behind the scenes. There's just aren't, after 10 or 12 years, there won't be that many people left I mean, Michael, that, on death row. Michael, that gets to the point. This is, a lot of this is not a debate over what's cruel and unusual for the inmate being executed. It's pro-death penalty, anti-death penalty. Well, this that's right. the latest Mike, front you know. on this fight. You know, I've been, I've been doing this, uh, I've been involved with it 40 years, and it never really changes. Uh, I've debated it, I don't know how many times with how many people in the past four decades, and everything they have said, I've heard before, everything I've said, they've said before. You know, there's just a basic conception, people who are for it or against it, and I think both sides have very good reasons. I would not be surprised at some future time to see Ohio abolish it again. And then I wouldn't be surprised 30 years after that to go back to it again. Mm -hmm. It's a pendulum, it's gonna swing, and, and I imagine it'll be that way for quite some time. Okay, our next topic. If you had not noticed some of your coworkers and some of your kids' classmates are not showing up to work or school, what officials presume to be H1N1 swine flu virus is spreading in Ohio. As of today, Ohio is reporting widespread influenza activity to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Such activity is certainly unusual for this time of the season. So what that tells us is that H1N1 flu pandemic is strengthening and is showing no signs of slowing. This week, the swine flu claimed the life of a 14-year-old Columbus boy, just as the swine flu vaccine is arriving in central Ohio. Nurses and doctors and other healthcare workers are first up to get the mist, and some hospitals are mandating or strongly encouraging employees get the vaccine, and that's not going over so well among some of those healthcare workers. Ann Fisher, should hospitals mandate their employees get the swine flu vaccine or any flu vaccine? 
Well, the Children's Hospital makes a good point. They're saying, hey, we're not worried about you. We're worried about the kids that are in the hospital. Many of them are already fragile. They either, you know, their, their immune systems are already compromised by either medication that they're taking or by the diseases that they have. And, and that's the same problem that, you know, is overarching in this whole vaccine issue is really, yes, the vaccine can help you stop, you know, keep you from getting sick, perhaps, but more importantly, from the epidemiologist's point of view, is, is the herd effect, that the more people that are vaccinated, the fewer people become infected, the fewer people spread the disease to fewer people. And there we, we thereby keep it from spreading to people like the 14-year-old boy who are more susceptible. Kids from 2 to 18 are more susceptible yeah. to this disease, which is very unusual. The question is, you know, personal choice and taking vaccines, especially vaccines, they say it's safe, but we don't know absolutely for sure yet. There's concerns about that. And that's the tension that these, see, these folks face. If you're face. a healthcare worker and you are, like Ann said, treating people who have immune suppression issues or who are very sick, you have an obligation unless you have a medical condition or a cultural reason for not wanting to take it, I think, to take these vaccines. This thing is spreading. There was a, a national report from the Trust for America's Health that estimates that 4 million people in Ohio are going to get the swine flu. That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely right. It, 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 I don't think I should have to take it being in a, in a law firm, you know, something like that. And, I, and most jobs, uh, people, I think, have the choice to whether they take it or not. But, uh, but it, it, as they said before, when you're talking about kids in a hospital or something like that, I, I think that's your job. Uh, and if you want that job, then part of that job ought to be that you're going to take these shots. But what's interesting, though, also is there are a lot of parents out there who don't want their children to have it. Yep. So, um, I mean, that's just a, a totally separate, you know, issue from the from the healthcare workers. Like people but out there who, in general, in are general, afraid of right. the, the, the And vaccination. I think it's because it is, um, a, you know, you don't know a lot about this vaccine um, to begin with, and so you know you're putting this into your body. You don't know much about it. Um, there's also conf some confusion over the two separate forms, the nasal form versus the injection. The nasal form, they tell you right away that it contains a live virus, yeah. you know, so people automatically are just feeling like, man, you want me to put a live <laughs> virus in my body yeah. here? Uh, and they're saying pregnant women shouldn't take it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to get pregnant in my lifetime, but if it's not good <laughs> enough for a pregnant woman, why is it good for me or my children? Yeah, the, the health officials will say that while this vaccine has not been tested specifically, it's the same thing they do with every flu vaccine every year. It's the same delivery method. It's just a different strain. So they're very confident that it is safe. Right. Every mm -hmm. year, the flu vaccine changes. The, yeah. the typical flu vaccine is changed up. They, they amalgamate all kinds of uh, uh, theories about what's going to be hitting hardest this year. And, and, and that's what they work with every year. So that's nothing new. The, the basic you know, theory behind the vaccine is the same thing as ever. We're into this now. It's October. Fall's here. Apparently, it's spreading. How are public health agencies handling this? Is it the right tone of concern but not panic? Where are we on this on this line? Well, I think that one thing that gets in the way are the the laws that prevent uh, the public prevent hospitals and prevent the public health departments from sharing information about the victims of, of, of the flu. Um, they can't tell us even whether this 14-year-old boy was already in, whether he was, for instance, one of the kids that was already in the hospital, already fragile. We don't even know on the record for yeah. sure that. So if we can't find out information like that, it's that lack of information. What do they say about, you know, filling a vacuum? Yeah. 
nature loves to fill a vacuum. I, I think there's it's got to be a concern also, at least up in the in the Northeast Ohio area. There are a lot of uh, physicians even who are saying that you know there's too much alarm going on, that it's everything is being overblown. So you got a lot of mixed messages going on uh, about this right now, and and people rightfully don't know where what to believe at this point. How much is the media to blame for that? I mean, it's all over. TVs, big spreads in the newspapers. I think all the Ohio newspapers last weekend had, had many articles on it. Great public service, but... See, I thought they did a nice job of explaining what we just talked about here. Where do you get information? Who should you believe in the upside and the downside? I read probably every word in two of the big papers in the state, and I was impressed by what they did. Yeah, I, I think you can blame the media for a lot of things, but not this. I mean, this is a controversial thing. Reasonable people can disagree, and I think they've... Uh, They've informed the public quite well. If all you're doing is counting the headlines, you can say the media is overblowing it. But if you actually read what the media is doing yeah. or listen to the good programs on television and radio, you're going to get good information. But if all you're doing is counting headlines, then you can you can make any right. kind of accusation like that that you want. I mean, looking at the comments that follow newspaper articles, many people have brought up the, that perhaps it's being compared to the number of deaths for sw for seasonal flu. It's mm -hmm. like six thousand a year in Ohio, I believe. Mm -hmm. I think there's been less than a dozen, less, less than 10 deaths for swine flu in Ohio since, since last spring. Are we giving this too much attention well, based on that? I personally, as the parent of a 13 and a half year old boy, 13 and three quarters, <laughs> you know, I don't think you are. This is a healthy kid. This, yeah. th they are healthy people in the, in the prime of their lives. There's no reason in other kinds of flu situations that they would be in such danger. Mm -hmm. And I think that people should be concerned and educate themselves as much as they can about it. You it's don't different want, that way. You don't want the flow of information after a lot of people start to drop yeah. dead. You want it in advance, so mm -hmm. maybe you can do something about it. It really is a damned if you do, damned if yeah. you don't. Yes. You might as well err on the side of mm -hmm. caution and get the word out, you know. And wash your hands, of course. Of course. To the surprise of very few, the Ohio Supreme Court has said John Husted is a resident of suburban Dayton and can vote in Montgomery County. Half of that county's Board of Elections, the Democratic half, said the Republican Husted lives in Upper Arlington. Democrat Secretary of State Jennifer Bruner broke the tie and ruled that Houston could not vote in Kettering, which he represents in the House. But the all-Republican High Court reversed that decision. Reggie Fields, what this shows is this law needs a fair amount of clarification. Even I would, the Supreme Court said that. I would say so. Even uh, John Husted said that when I spoke to him uh, this week and uh, I told him, I said, how, how am I going to explain it? You live here in suburban Columbus, but you're maintaining a home there. And even he says, yeah, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough one to explain, but uh, he doesn't believe he, he broke the law. Um, certainly Democrats believe he maybe he didn't break the law, but he certainly is stretching the spirit of the law. And so that's where we stand now. Well, I have a question about this that maybe you guys can answer. Um, I think it was clear he doesn't live in Kettering. Um, he wasn't using any water. And I didn't know until this broke that water records are a public record. And I was a reporter for a long time. Um, so since he doesn't really live in the district, he got the maximum mileage reimbursement for traveling back and forth to his home in Kettering. Shouldn't he give the money back? Well, should, that's a good question, and that applies to anybody. They, they, all the lawmakers, I should say all of them, but many of them automatically take the same reimbursement whether or not they need it or, you know, anyway. But we so, don't have any evidence that they don't live there. I mean, the Franklin County ones don't get it because they obviously, mm -hmm. going back and forth to their district is driving down the road. but. 
this guy doesn't live there, and the reason why you're supposed to take your mileage is to compensate you for driving back and forth. It's a 75-mile trip between here and, and Kettering. But you have to assume he goes back for events and to meet, yeah, with, meet but with his yeah, constituents but he and gets serve the his maximum district. amount. The spirit of the law, perhaps. That, that one, particularly in this economic climate, I think he should give the money back. Well, getting back to his intent to return, that, that apparently was the crux of the Supreme Court's decision. He has said, when I leave office, I intend to return to Kettering. Now, Mike, if, when you were the prosecutor, if somebody told you they didn't intend to break the law, would you have bought that? I mean, this seems like a really goofy test to me. I would buy it rarely. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, this is a slippery slope. I think there's probably more than, uh, than just John uh, Houston involved. Oh, in I this. think so, too. There's there a lot been, of people like that. There have been legislators throughout the years who that's happened to. But, uh, but I mean, is that a legitimate? Is, Ohio's not that big. But you look at states like Texas and California and mm -hmm. Alaska. Um, if Kettering from Columbus, particularly, there's yeah. people who live a lot farther away from Columbus than that. But you know, it's it's hard to say you you are from far northwestern Ohio and you you're coming to Columbus a lot. You might have an apartment or a condo here, and you may not go back there that often. Is that that's got to be understandable? You'd think would. It, 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 it is understandable, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure why the rules for him are so different. You know, he's saying, "Oh, I'm so busy." Well, is he that much busier than all these other folks? Jennifer Brun has been criticized for siding with the Democrats on the Montgomery board. Uh, Sandy, you're doing some work for her. Did she abuse her authority? I, I don't think she did. If you look at what happened at the beginning, there was a complaint from a Republican in Montgomery County, and uh, that required the Montgomery County Board of Elections to look at it. They deadlocked. The two D's were on one side, the two R's were on the other side. Jennifer looked at that, said, I need more information. She sent it back to them. She didn't just make a snap political decision. Who I did, who I do think made a snap political decision was the court. Um, there were a couple of editorials today. The Toledo Blades headline was "Low Mark for High Court." This was a political decision by a political court. Well, I, you know, it may be a political decision by a political court, but I, I will say this: I think Jennifer Bruner had one of the best lines about this whole thing that was over and done with. She said something to the effect of, "Look, uh, the Democrats and uh, on the the, uh, the board voted one way, and the Democrat Secretary of State voted with them." And the Republicans on the board voted one way, and seven Republicans on the Supreme Court voted with them. And I suppose anybody, depending on which side of the spectrum you're on, can point the finger and say, politics. And I think she's right. And that doesn't mean that she played politics. It doesn't necessarily mean the Supreme Court played politics. It kind of depends which way you want to look at it. But I, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, what the big problem seems to be there's an ambiguity in the law, and everybody on both sides concedes that. And something needs to be made clear so we don't have it again. It's always been a running joke over in the State House. If you're on a House floor or the Senate floor, you'll hear uh, from time to time someone want to mock uh, someone else from another area, and they'll refer to them as the good senator from Franklin County or Columbus, when they know very well <laughs> they're not from that area, but they know <laughs> that's where they've taken their, their residence. Yeah. Little, little inside <laughs> jokes. <there. Yeah. laughs> Topic four, as you and your letter carrier no doubt realize, the casino campaign continues and supporters of the four big city casino casinos continue to send out these mailings. Developments this week, state officials say the casinos would just about bring in the $650 million supporters promise they will. And casino politics makes strange bedfellows as the far right and the far left join forces this week to oppose issue three. 
Sandy Tice, now you speak for the Truth Pack, one of the leading, if not the leading opponent the to this. The side that speaks the truth, yes. <laughs> yes. They oppose the casino plan. $650 million, the state backs that claim. That's a good amount of money. What's uh, wrong with well, that? Well, nothing's wrong with that. What was wrong was the state's analysis. What it said was, we're assuming all four will be built. We're assuming all four will be built in a timely fashion. And we're assuming this goofy loophole that they concede exists that would not tax wagers made in cash will be addressed legislatively. Well, you, you can probably help me out, Mike. You can't fix the Constitution by passing a law. You can't. You can only fix the Constitution by fixing the Constitution. So um, Bill Batchelder, who's the top-ranking Republican in the House, and Lou Blessing, who's also a lawyer, Republican in the House, they sent a letter to the people who wrote that state tax analysis, and they said, you're wrong, fix it. Um, they were pretty flabbergasted by it, and I think a lot of people who know the law and know the Constitution were flabbergasted by it. That's a huge loophole. It's a big, big structural problem. The casino that. supporters disagree. They say that there's not a loophole and everything will be taxed. Well, they're saying they'll, they'll, yeah, they'll, say they're, they'll voluntarily do it, and maybe they will. And if that's the case, then that's what the analysis should reflect. Where does this go? They've got, what, three weeks left, four weeks left in this campaign? More mailers from one side, anyway far outspending the other side. Polls show people supporting it, but we've seen those polls turn around pretty quickly. Yeah, I, you know, the polls uh, from what we can tell right now, it says that it's still up, but uh, last year we had another casino issue that at this time last year was also up um, near double digit figures, if I recall, and it lost. And so that's not unusual for these uh, sort of issues to to be ahead at this uh, uh, point of the, of the game. Um, you know, this one is a little different. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, this year we've got the governor who's always been opposed to gambling, you know, embracing slots. And uh, more and more people seem to think that, you know, um, it's, it's almost like they keep on coming back with casino initiatives and people are sort of getting worn down, perhaps just saying, you know, they're going to come back. This is not perfect. It's not good. There are a lot of problems with this one, but they're going to keep coming back. Do you vote for it anyway? I think the, the, the question is, is the confusion over what's in uh, in the um, proposed constitutional amendment and what's not and the loophole whether it exists or it doesn't uh, both sides argue that uh, is that going to trump um, the which usually means a no vote. I yeah. mean, usually when people are confused over something like this, you know, all things being equal, they'll vote against it. But will that trump or be trumped by the overriding, apparently overriding desperation to raise some kind of revenue in this state so that we don't all go under? And create jobs. That's what they're right. pushing. The, the well, supporters of the pushing jobs. and um, Money. The far right and the far left, of all the parties debating this, <laughs> they have the most credibility because they are opposing this for wholesome reasons moral reasons or you know yes. they're opposed to gambling they don't have a they don't have a a horse in the race so to speak they're not trying to build their own casino which is many of the opponents yeah and, and i think that's really what distinguishes my side is there are a lot of people at the table who have nothing to gain but the big guys at the top have something they, to they gain. do absolutely yeah. the people who are paying for it have yeah. a lot to gain but the people who have come out for the no side um council of churches catholic conference league of women voters a lot of good government groups because they think that these casinos are going to have more of a downside than an upside. And if we want to bring casinos to Ohio, why don't we have a, why don't we beat this, have a conversation after issue three loses, and um, figure out how to do it right. Other states that have done it right have competitively bid their licenses. Illinois just got $435 million for a casino license. These guys want a one-time $50 million licensing fee. 
for a casino monopoly and a license to mint money. That's insulting. The groups that are supporting this, the unions, labor unions, FOP, the police unions, early voting is underway. There's apparently an effort to get people out who support it to vote. Is grassroots going to crop up here and, and help one side or the other? Especially with the union support. Well, I don't know about grassroots, but I do know that the the pro issue three side is, is got, they have people out mm -hmm. going door to yeah. door, and I think they're probably paid. I don't mm -hmm. think it's grassroots, yeah. like, but they're out there. I think that's right. I've already gotten a couple of phone calls in my house uh, for the same thing, uh, recorded messages and so on. And I I don't know what I'm sure Sandy knows the number, but uh, how how far one side's outspending the other. Uh, I would think it'd be appreciably at this. Uh, yeah, we expect Juncture. to be outspent about five to one. Uh, five to one. <coughs> you know, I, whatever side you're on, you know, I mean, everyone who has sort of endorsed this has found something that's in it for them. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing that yep. they've endorsed necessarily. I mean, the unions, they're, they're promising these construction jobs, so obviously the unions are getting behind that. The police are getting money for police training, so, you know, whether whether that's good or bad, that's you know everyone seems to be getting something. I I still think uh, if you look at this objectively, one of the, the the biggest concerns has to be whether or not they're really going to build all four of these casinos should this pass. Because and the reason why that is important is because the tax money um, that the state Stand. is expecting from that is based upon all four of these casinos being built. No and casino, look, no money. Right. And if you look around at the you know the the economy, what's going on right now in casinos. I don't know if that's a given necessarily. Okay. Let's get to our off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions for the weeks ahead. Reggie, you're up first. Oh, I just wanted to say uh, this Sunday is the second annual Walk Now for Autism at Ohio State University at the Schottenstein Center at 10 a.m. And uh, I'll be there, and it'll be good if registration is free. So everyone should come out and support it. Hope for good weather. Yes. And Okay, not so altruistic. <laughs> but let's just say that neither the all-Republican Ohio Supreme Court nor the Democratic Ohio Secretary of State inserted politics into this question of whether uh, Senator Houston is or is not a resident of wherever. Uh, where, whenever it is resolved, and by the time he's finally out of politics, no one will remember, nor will anybody care. The Dayton Daily News might remember. So if they're going to change the law, they better do it quick. All right, Michael. I think that uh, in the coming weeks you're going to see the uh, polls on issue three close, 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 and then come election day it's going to be basically what's happened the last four times, it's going to lose. Okay, good news for Sandy, what do you think? I like your prediction, Mike. Um, right now Franklin County uh, Commissioner John O'Grady is about the only person in central Ohio with the courage to come out against issue three. Thank you, John, if you're watching. And I think John is going to get some company this week. Okay. The mayor said he's too busy. He's not going to take a stand. That's what he told us this week. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. Please check out our website, wosu.org slash cotr. You can catch streaming video of each program. We post it on Monday, so if you missed a weekend show, check it out on our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here and for our panel at WOSU at COSI, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.